Raising children to know and love Jesus in today's world is a joy, a privilege, and a challenge. Parenting is the most important job you will ever have. How can we maintain a Christ-centered home while juggling jobs, sports, school, and community activities? We find the answer when we rely upon God's power for help, not our own or the world's. Family Shield Ministries exist to help Christians go and make disciples. We believe that individuals and their families need to go first into their homes. We want to equip Christian parents and grandparents to share Christ with their children, grandchildren, and extended families. Today, we're going to begin a two-part series entitled, Go First Into the Home. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries. I want to start by going back to families of yesterday and read from Luke 2, 41 through 45. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents were unaware of it, of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now, you know that story, and we usually focus on the end of it where they find him in the temple with the teachers. But I want to talk a little bit more about Jesus' family and the situation that just happened here. Uh, Jesus was 12, and although we as Christians know he was true God and true man at the same time, he was, as a true man, a 12-year-old boy. And um, he did some of the things that 12-year-old boys do. He, His parents, Mary and Joseph, and him went to the Feast of the Passover. And uh, as they were returning, it says, his parents thought he was with his relatives and friends in the caravan. It must have been a large group. Uh, certainly, they didn't have cars like we would today. But if you have a 12-year-old son or daughter and you were with relatives and friends in a large group traveling maybe from St. Louis to Chicago, where do you think that 12-year-old son or daughter would want to be? Would they want to be with their parents or would they want to be with their relatives and friends that maybe were closer to their age? I think that's what was happening with Jesus. Uh, the caravan, his parents just assumed he was with their relatives and friends. And when they realized after a day's journey that they had left him behind, I can just imagine that they were worried and upset, uh, upset with themselves that they did, hadn't checked on him, upset that he might be in danger. Uh, years ago, I asked a friend uh, who's a, a, a Lutheran pastor how large Jerusalem would have been at that time. Was it just a small little town? And he said, oh, no, Kay, it was a large, large city. And so we might just think about Mary and Joseph realizing that their 12-year-old son was lost in a town, let's say like uh, St. Louis or Chicago, uh, maybe downtown. You would worry, wouldn't you, if that happened to you? And I am sure that Mary and Joseph worried and prayed. 
and prayed some more. And uh, it took them a, uh, three days before they found him. So they had gone a day's journey. They came back. That's two days. It's still they kept looking for another day as they finally found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Well, I use that example uh, as we talk about families of yesterday for a couple reasons. One, because it tells us a little bit about Jesus, the only story we have in God's Word about Jesus when he, when he was 12 years old. Uh, let me also ask you, have you ever forgotten your child at any time? Maybe you uh, had a little one in a pumpkin seat and you got out of the car to go into a restaurant and realized, oh, I got to go back and get him. Or or maybe I know I left my 10-year-old son at home one time. Uh, he had been on summer vacation and then school started and off I went to work and got a, a couple miles from the home when I realized, oh, wait a minute, Jeff's back in school and I had to go back home to pick him up. And he was just smiling broadly because he wanted to stay home. But uh, I had actually forgotten that he was home and that he needed to be somewhere. He wasn't to stay home. He was to go to school. So we do those kind of things. And uh, we know that Mary and Joseph were good Jewish people. So uh, I am sure that they were praying for his safety. But um, many things have changed about families, but some things haven't. Families still love each other. They still get afraid when things happen like this, where they have forgotten or missed Jesus in the caravan. Uh, They still worry about their loved ones. They still pray when problems occur. They still have faith. And so although many things have changed, many things are still also the same. Think about your family for a minute. How has it changed? How has it stayed the same? As I thought about that question in preparation for the program, I was thinking about uh, when I grew up, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I was able to walk to school, to grade school. It was so close. Of course, I took the bus to high school, but walking to school, it was not even far away And uh, my mom never worked outside of the home. She was a very busy and active, involved mom who was our Brownie and Girl Scout leader and Sunday school teacher. But uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. Now, there are moms that stay at home today, but not as many. I was also blessed to be able to stay at home with my three children. Um, When my youngest was 10, I went back to work. That meant my oldest son was 18 years old and my daughter was 15 years old when I finally went to work. So the two older ones didn't really know a time when I wasn't at home. So um, even for me, our life has changed and families have changed in so many ways. We're gonna talk a little bit more about some of that. But for me, those times of being a stay-at-home mom are precious memories and I always tell people, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I have had plenty of years to work uh, since uh, Now, my daughter is over 40 years old, and of course, our two sons are with the Lord. Uh, But uh, uh, families have changed, but many things about families have not changed. What do you think is impacting families most negatively in today's world? I ask that question of parenting groups when I speak to them on a regular basis. Here are just some of their answers. Sometimes they'll say moms who work and can't find quality time. Obviously, many moms work and do a wonderful job of being a mom. Single moms have a more challenging time. 
I also hear a lot about dads who aren't around for their children. Sometimes that's because of divorce. But many times it's just because dads are busy working, making money. Many times they travel a lot for a living, and it's challenging to spend time with the children. We need to find that time. Another thing that often parents will say is the breakup of families and drugs and alcohol, and certainly those are true. I think today there is even more addictions than there were in the past because of cell addictions and internet addictions and pornography addictions, including drugs and alcohol. Uh, Here's a statistic about media's influence and how it's affecting our families. In a Michigan State University survey, one-third of the children that were four and five years old uh, were asked a question, would you rather give up daddy or TV? And um, Uh, One-third of those four- and five-year-olds said they'd rather give up their daddy. That's a really challenging statistic for us. Uh, I know today we wouldn't just talk about TV, but also computer games, which the children like so much. Uh, Another statistic that's very sad is that dads spend less than eight minutes a day talking to their children. So, again, just some of the challenges. These are just things that people say to me, um, not necessarily what what I believe. But the main thing we need to do is spend time together and talk to each other and uh, do things together and share our faith with them. And that's what I want to do today is talk a little bit more about doing family devotions and then just finding times during our days and weekends to just talk about God with our children and our grandchildren. But before I talk a little bit more about that, I want to just mention a few things. Recently, I did a a presentation called Prepare and Protect Children and Families in a High-Tech World for a local congregation. And I just want to read a few of the statistics. They were just alarming (laughs) As as I read them. I'll just go through. I'm not going to go through everything because that's a long Uh, presentation, but just a few things. Between the ages of 8 and 18, American children spend an average of seven hours a day accessing various media. That includes TV, movies, computers, mobile devices, iPods, cell phones with cameras, video games, high-definition TV, laptops, Google, Game Boys, and the list goes on. Seven hours a day. If churches want to find out why People don't want to be involved in church activities. Youth don't want to be involved. Adults don't want to be involved. One of the culprits is media consumption. According to the Attorney General's Commission on Pornography, the largest group of viewers of Internet porn is children between the ages of 12 and 17. And while the thought of our children viewing these images is scary, Another danger is online predators. Nearly 80% of teens said they aren't careful enough when giving out information about themselves online. We need to prepare and protect our children and youth. In one survey, 43% of teens with profiles on social networking sites and 32% of teens online reported they'd been contacted by strangers. And 21% of those admitted to following up on that solicitation. So again, it's a challenging thing. Last statistics related to, um, to uh, technology. A British study documented that tech addiction is a growing problem among teens. About 63% of 11 to 18-year-olds polled said they felt addicted 
to the internet or cell phone. One teen said, if I don't have a phone, I feel like I'm not going to make it through the day. Now, again, to, I'm going to spend most of my time today on uh, uh, in this part one series on talking about how to share your faith with your children. And I'm also going to share some things about Lenten activities and Easter activities. But I just couldn't uh, pass up sharing just a few of those statistics uh, about that because it is a concern as we talk about challenges of today's families and how they've changed. So how can we help today's families teach their children to know and love Jesus? And why does the church need to partner with the home in helping families? These are two very important questions. God's plan is for families to tell the next generation about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, 6-7, one of my favorite Bible verses, it says, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and I always add, and daughters, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So God's word is not saying have a devotion at dinner, sit there for a few minutes, and that's the only time you talk about the Lord with your children. It really talks about when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you walk along the way. And so it's at all times, not just one time. God tells us not to conceal his great and mighty acts from our children, but to tell the next generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So how are you sharing God's love with your children? And what hinders you from doing this? We're going to talk more about raising children to know and love Jesus, but I just have a few announcements I want to make. Each week, Family Shield offers a booklet or resource to our listeners. This week, we're offering practical strategies for family life. To receive the booklet, call the Response Center, 1-877-317-4326. We encourage our listeners to sign up to receive the Family Shield email newsletter on our homepage at www.familyshieldministries.com. Uh, this week and, and next week, in fact, all of March and April, Family Shield is offering my book, Witnessing a Lifestyle, as a gift to anyone who donates $25 or more in March and April. Just put book offer on the memo of your check or include a note about the special offer with your donation. Send donations to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. Your gift, gifts are tax deductible as allowed by law. You can also donate through PayPal on the website at www.familyshieldministries.com. Again, that's my book, Witnessing a Lifestyle, with a gift of $25 or more. The gift is the book is just complimentary to you. So I want to go back to our discussion, and this is part one of a two-part series, as we talk about how we raise children to know and love Jesus. So how do we begin the process of spiritual nurture of children in the home? First, we take them to be baptized, and we dedicate them to the Lord. Even as small babies, they are gifts from God. And we can play Christian music, children's music. We can even read a children's book to a very young child, Christian books, uh, praying with them even when they don't yet know what that means. We teach them to pray, and we're going to talk more about ways to uh, teach them to pray uh, in the home. We help them grow spiritually. 
We demonstrate love through words and actions. And when they get a little older, maybe when they're two or three, if your church has a Sunday school program for the very young, we take them to Sunday school and church. We should always be taking them to church. Some churches have a a children's service or have a a Sunday school during the worship, but uh, we encourage parents to take the children to worship services. I know that can be difficult, but we need to help them learn and learn how to worship the Lord. So just a couple thoughts about uh, before that worship. Before the worship the night before, get everything together. As parents or grandparents, you help them be organized. And remember the little things like barrettes or, or making sure all of their clothes are pulled together if they're very young. And if they're older, help them do it themselves to be organized even the day before. I also encourage pastors to put lessons of it and at least one song in the bulletin the week before so parents can teach their children the song, the liturgy, and the lesson. Help your children memorize the liturgy and Bible verses, at least one Bible verse. And again, in a little bit, we're gonna talk about some ways to memorize Bible verses. And when your children can read. Remember that managing a large hymnal is a big job. We need to help them. We also need to recognize that home is probably the most difficult place to live our faith. So uh, James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And we need to remember that verse is just made for the home. Confess your sins to each other. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Another great verse for the home. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about fun family devotions as well as some Lenten and Easter activities for the home. We're going to do this. This is part one. Next week will be part two. Just some things you can do uh, as we talk about devotions? What obstacles do you find uh, in having family devotions in your home? I think one obstacle is time. We just can never seem to find enough time to have those devotions. And I find as I go out and speak to church groups that fewer and fewer families are doing devotions. And that's why I want to talk about this and give you some simple things that you can do. Just take the time. Uh, Make the time. Uh, You need to find time to do this. It's important. Um, Another obstacle that families face is the age of children. For me, I had a, uh, my children were eight, five, and when Jeff was born, zero. So let's say Jeff was three, uh, Kevin was 11. It's not easy with those different ages to have age-appropriate devotions. And so the different ages of children can be challenging when you're trying to have devotions. And I just encourage parents to sometimes have a devotion that's geared for the three-year-old, sometimes for the 10-year-old, and sometimes for the uh, 11-year-old. And then let the older ones help you with the devotions for the younger ones and get them involved. And remember that uh, devotions should be short and age-appropriate, not sitting. I had once I had a guest 
on the radio program, and I didn't disagree <laughs> on air, but he told me he was reading through the New Testament with his three-year-old. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that just is not going to make for good devotional time. But uh, that's what he was doing, and, uh, and that, was his, that was his way of doing it. So ages of children can be a challenge. Another obstacle to devotions is that we often share the law and no gospel. And that's a real critical problem in our homes today. We say, you have to do this. You must do this. You've got to do that. If you don't do that, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it's all law. We need to remember that Jesus uh, died for our sins, and we are sinners, but that forgiveness is the gospel. And so we need to have homes that don't just share all of the you must do things, the law, but also share the gospel. At some point say, although you did something wrong, today is a gospel day and I'm going to forgive you without a punishment. Uh, Just remember that Jesus suffered and died for your sins too. Uh, We don't have to do that all the time, but don't just have law-oriented devotions. Remember the gospel. Uh, And the last obstacle is our sinful nature. We just don't always want to do it. It's easier to not have devotions. It's challenging to have family devotions. But it helps us talk about God and his word and Jesus with our children. Um, As we have family devotions, we need to keep them short and age-appropriate. And again, I'm going to give you some suggestions for age-appropriate devotions. Um, I usually say if you have a three-year-old, the devotion shouldn't be much more than three minutes. Uh, You should not make them sit at that table. In fact, if you're saying, sit there, be quiet, you're going to like this no matter what, you are not having an age-appropriate devotion. And it's challenging, I know, but you can find ways to uh, make it fun. Use interactive learning. Ask questions. Let them answer questions. Don't expect them to always have all the answers correct. Play games. We did a lot of uh, activities. I would make uh, secular games into Christian games, and I'm going to share some of those uh, today and next week. Use concrete items, not abstract things. Young children do not understand the abstract. That's why for children's sermons, we use a flashlight and we turn it on and we talk about uh, the light of Christ and following in his path. And uh, uh, I write a lot of children's devotions. So just using concrete things to help children understand more about God is really important. And then you can do or make something together and just talk about God. I have a nice Play-Doh recipe, and we used to always make the Play-Doh. And although the kids would play with it on their own, we would also use it for a devotion. Together, we would make a cross and talk about Jesus. And then we'd roll a big ball and have the kids push their thumb into it so that it became a tomb. And we'd talk again about Jesus, especially as we came to Lent uh, and Easter where he was put in the tomb and just share that story visually with a little Play-Doh. And, uh, and then uh, at other times, we would make animals with that Play-Doh. We might make a snake, a real easy one for little ones to do, and turtle, a turtle. And we would talk about God's creation. Uh, I am not one that likes the, the, the um, 
handmade plastic things that you cut things out. I, I think that's fine, but I really like to have the children be a little more creative and help them learn how to make a snake or work with them to make a turtle. Uh, I brought. I came across this uh, uh, pretzel recipe, and I wanted to just share with our listeners. Uh, did you know that pretzels is a Lenten tradition? After you make them, give them away to family and friends. Why? Because pretzels are, sh- are shaped like arms folded in prayer and can remind us to pray to God for our needs and the needs of others. Uh, let the people that you give the pretzels to know that you are praying for them, and then don't forget to do it. Now, I'm not going to read that pretzel recipe on the air, but I'm going to let you know that I'll, I'll send that recipe to anyone who requests it through email at FSM, that stands for Family Shield Ministries, my first initial K, last name Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can also just drop us a note in the mail and we'll send it out or you can email us through our website at www.familyshieldministries.com so i want to let you know i thought this was a great idea uh, pretzels and make them together as a family activity and then give them away to family and friends tell them you will be praying for them Um, i have some activities, Easter and Lenten activities in my book, Witnessing a Lifestyle, on page 89. And uh, the book has four segments. One of them is witnessing during holidays. So um, I'm not going to have a lot of time for this. I'll finish this up next week. But uh, Easter offers opportunities to share Christ. Uh, the, The stores are full of brightly colored Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies, marshmallow eggs, and beautiful clothes. Lenten services are being held at area congregations. Easter is near. How can we use traditional Easter activities to share our faith with those in our family? Although most Christians understand that Easter is about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the secular world promotes it as just another holiday. Yet the Bible tells us to take every opportunity to tell others about our Savior. So again, uh, I have a long list of activities uh, for Lent and Easter, one of which is the devotional resurrection eggs. You've probably seen them. We made those years ago. And I'm going to just share a few as I have a little bit of time. Twelve large plastic eggs can be used as a wonderful teaching tool for children and adults. Inside each colored egg, place a small item that reminds us of the passion story along with a small written Bible verse. So here are some examples real quickly. Put an empty piece of unleavened bread into one egg. This can remind us of the Last Supper meal. And another, put a small sponge in a Bible verse about how Jesus' enemies gave him a sponge filled with vinegar when he was thirsty. In another egg, put a piece of wood. As you open this egg, talk about how Jesus was nailed to the cross and suffered for our sins. I'm going to continue talking about Lenten and Easter activities next week and uh, share more suggestions and ideas for uh, family devotions and some of the specific things you can do. This is part one of a two-part series. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Again, learn more, www.familyshieldministries.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ. 
grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.